Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Corey Ajmi is the author of The Marriage Box. And this episode is guest hosted by Julie Chavez author of the upcoming memoir, Everyone But Myself, and host of Ask a Librarian, the podcast. Corey is the author of the novel, The Marriage Box, which was named a must-read new book on Katie Couric Media. Corey's short story collection, Life and Other Shortcomings, won an International Book Award, an IBPA Benjamin Franklin Award, 
and an American Fiction Award. Her prize-winning essays and short stories have appeared in dozens of journals and magazines, including HuffPost, North American Review, Indiana Review, Medium, Motherwell, and Feller. When she is not writing, Corey does volunteer work, cooks, draws, bikes, and hikes. She and her husband have five children and a number of grandchildren with more on the way. She lives and works in New York City. And by the way, as a gift to cover this book or whatever, she gave me the most amazing purse that she had made with the cover of the marriage box on the purse. So if you go to my Instagram at Zibby Owens and look at when I went to the Literacy Partners Gala or when I went to the New York Public Library lunch, I mean, it sounds like I do these things all day, which I don't. But anyway, I brought the purse to both of those so you can see how absolutely gorgeous it is. Corey, thank you so much for being with me on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books so we can talk about the marriage box. I'm thrilled you're here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. I'm so glad. And I found this book so interesting, so I can't wait to talk a little bit about it. I have lots of questions for you because as I was reading, I was marking passages and just there were so many things I think uh, in this book, you know, I'm an elementary librarian and so I talk to the kids a lot about how books are windows or mirrors often. And for me, this book really was a window into a world that I'm not as familiar with. I live on the West Coast. I am not Jewish. And there were so many things. I'm not Syrian. I really enjoyed having a peek into pieces of one individual life. And so it was just a really well done book. Congratulations. Thank you so much. That's great to hear. I'm thrilled. Um, Let's start with this. Would you mind please telling the listeners what is The Marriage Box about? Sure. The Marriage Box is about Casey Cohen, a young girl who grows up in New Orleans in a pretty all-American kind of lifestyle in the 70s. She goes to a college preparatory high school. She's a cheerleader and she gets herself into some trouble. So her parents trying to, they're concerned and they decide they're going to go back to where they both were raised, which was the Syrian Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. To to them, it was familiar, but to Casey, it was completely foreign. And it seemed like overnight, their ideas about what they wanted for their daughter changed because Casey thought she'd go to college. And then when they got to Brooklyn, her parents wanted her to get married. Mm -hmm. And so the book opens with this 18-year-old protagonist getting married. Even though she swears she won't do it, she does. Yes. Oh, thank you. I'm terrible at describing things because I either tell not enough or not too much because I'm pushy and I just want to put it in someone's hands and be like, just read it. Stop asking me questions. Just do what I say. <laughs> so that was perfect. That okay, <laughs> <laughs> was fantastic. So, okay, here's where I want to start. Did you have the idea for this book? Did you start with the characters? Or did you start with the story? Okay, so I have to confess that The Marriage Box is based on my real life. I did not know that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it is totally fiction. Like all the things that happen, the details are fiction. But the premise, what I just told you. Yes. Pretty much happened to me, except for I didn't get into trouble. We didn't have to move because I did anything wrong. I was a pretty good kid. Okay. um, But my parents did decide when I was 16 that they wanted to come back into this world. And it was pretty drastic for me. The change was the culture clash. I knew nothing. I didn't speak Hebrew. I didn't know any Arabic. I didn't know the foods that were eaten in the community. We didn't keep kosher. We didn't keep Shabbat. I I knew nothing. Wow. Yeah. What a jarring experience at that age, too. 
I think the age was a very big deal. Yeah, because at the time, 16 is when you're trying, you're figuring out who you are and what you want to be. And everything was just turned upside down, pretty much. Wow, that is fascinating. (laughs) I'm sitting here thinking, did I miss something in these materials? Is that out there already? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I do really think of it as a work of fiction. Yes. The inspiration came from my experiences. Gosh, I... I bet there was so much to draw on. That makes so much sense now for me. Like all the pieces are clicking in because I just was so fascinated by this. And it really makes me feel better to know that you didn't get into big trouble because I really, as a mother of teenagers reading about Casey, I was like, oh, please don't. Oh no. What are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, I was a goody goody, really. <laughs> ah, gosh. And thank goodness for that. I'm sure your parents are very happy. Yeah. Although when we moved, I I cried for a year. So I'm sure you did. So you moved at that age. So when you, so has this always been a story you wanted to tell? Well, I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer. So I didn't discover writing till I was like mid thirties. Wow. And how did that happen? It happened. I was a teacher, a fourth and fifth grade teacher. And I was doing my graduate work at Bank Street College for Teachers in Manhattan. And I did my thesis on storytelling. Okay. But basically to use storytelling in a classroom to mm. learn about students, to, to teach, to whatever. It's a great tool in a classroom. And I think in doing that paper, in telling stories, in understanding the importance of storytelling, I wanted to keep telling stories when I was done. And so I took a class at Gotham Writers Workshop and just took a fiction class and wrote a short story. And my teacher said, I think you have talent. Maybe you want to go to Breadloaf Writers Conference, which I had never heard of. It was just kind of like one step after another, really tiny baby steps. Got one story published, then another. And and then- incredible. Yes. So writing short stories was kind of, I wouldn't say easy, but it came easier to me than writing a novel. Okay. And so one morning I just woke up and said, I don't think I'm going to write a novel. And it was a totally different experience. I'm so interested to hear about that because I had that on my list of questions for you because your first collection was a collection of short stories. Yes. And I will say the pace of the marriage box definitely had echoes of short stories for me in the way that you structured it. And I also really liked that it was spare in the best ways where it's not overwritten, nothing's overexplained. And that actually also adds to the tension for me. So, so what was that experience like? So you sat down and said, which by the way, I love this, like, well, I'm going to write a novel. We'll see how this turns out. (laughs) So how was the experience? Well, I'll tell you that was 20 years ago. Okay. So it was easy. (laughs) No problem. It's been seamless since then. Okay, great. We're done here. (laughs) 20 years. Wow. Yep. I, I took a long time figuring out how I wanted to tell this story and working on my craft. Cause like I said, I came to writing kind of late. I had to catch up with a lot of reading. I managed to get through graduate school with very few English classes. I had, I was not very well read. So I had a lot of catching up to do. Okay. What out of the things, so when you say you weren't well read, what's one book that comes to mind that you thought I had never read X and I for sure should have? Well, it, the only class I had taken in college where I even had to read sure. literature was American playwrights. Okay. So, so I really 
really nothing. And then just on my own, trying to catch up. And really, it was the book, Wally Lamb, She's Come Undone. Oh it my was God. very accessible and it felt very raw and natural and easy. It wasn't like, you know, one of the classics that, you know, just felt like something I, untouchable. Yes. And so I think it was that book that was a, a real inspiration for me just to sit down and tell the story. Just tell a story. Just tell a story. I love that. I read She's Come Undone when I was a teenager and then read it again. And I was just thinking it's one I'd like to go back to. That is such an incredible story and incredible book. Oh, yeah. And that makes me feel better too, because my classics knowledge is like horrible. I really need to work on that too. I'll make a little list. Maybe you can make it for me in your spare time when you're not releasing a book, right? It'll be perfect. Okay. Wow. 20 years. So you were working on your craft. Were you working on this on the side or was it like it was just percolating and preparing? Well, what was happening is I was also writing many of the short stories that are in Life and Other Shortcomings. Okay. First book. Yes. And those were easier for me to manage just because I, I was raising five children too. So I was home with kids. And so just, you're saying that it's busy to raise five children? Yes. Oh, yes. oh okay. Of course. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's insane. I have two no. and I get sweaty just thinking about that. Continue. Yeah. So it was hard to find the time. Yes. And then when I found the time... I wouldn't have enough time to read a 300-page document. So a 10-page short story or a 12-page short story was manageable. Mm. So um, I, w- I was writing short stories at the same time that I was working on the novel. But what happened with the novel was I'd have to put it away, sometimes for really long periods of time, like six months. Wow. And then when I went to pick it up, it would just take me like you know two or three hours even to get back into what was I trying to say Where's the the thread here? What's the vibe? You know, just get back into the emotion of it. And then time would run out. (laughs) It all all over again. (laughs) That makes complete sense. Someone recently uh, was telling me that fiction is a mood. Writing fiction is a mood. And so accessing that mood, and especially like you're saying, when you're in the throes of those busy years of life where coming down off of that takes so much effort as it is. So to actually sit down. You're right. Yeah. Oh, I just found the thread and ding, we're done. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. So let's say about 10 years ago or eight years ago when I was able to take it a little more seriously. Okay. And, and that's not seriously. That's not the right word, but I was able to devote some time to it and really focus on it. Yes. Well, and I love that you make that distinction because I think that we can be hard on ourselves at times and think that we're not serious about something because we're not able to create time for it or sufficient time for it. And that is sometimes the rhythm of life and the way that it goes. So it sounds like that was sort of waiting for you until you had space for it. Exactly. Mm, That makes sense. Well, your language is so impressive. There were parts of the marriage box lines that I marked and wrote out just even as he closes his eyes, tiny doors shutting. I mean, some of your, your, Lines were so powerful. And one of the characters at one point says, you young people, you never know when to call it quits. And things that really stood out to me. Are you a, when you write, does it take you a long time to craft sentences? Do those come out really naturally? Like how, how does your process look? Because it feels so crafted. Well, thank you. Of course. So how does it come out? I think dialogue 
comes out easier for me than other parts of the story. Okay. But in general, I might, if it's not dialogue, um, I think maybe like the tiny door shutting was just something that I saw in my head. And I I agree with you. I like sparse writing too. So I try to write how I like to read or what I like to read. So Yes. Well, I think you really achieve it. And that makes sense because you're right. That image, tiny door shutting, I could see it. And I really like, too, the layers of your writing. I feel like the prose is tighter, but the meaning is as deep, which is really hard to achieve. So I think you've just done a brilliant job with it. I really, I really enjoyed this book. I'm excited for it to be out in the world. Me too. (laughs) Now, okay, so you've written one of each short stories in Life and Other Shortcomings and now The Marriage Box. Do you have one that you prefer? Oh, I have to say that the marriage box is my baby. Is like it? it really feels like a big thing in my life that I struggled with and loved and kept close to me for a really long time. Mm. I reached for a coffee cup that I hadn't seen in a while the other day. And it says, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. And I used that coffee mug for years, every morning, as I would write the marriage box. And it was my reminder. And that mug really means something to me. And when I pulled it out the other day, it sat so beautifully that like, here I am, it's 20 years later, and it's happening. And I really can't wait for it to happen. Oh, I'm so thrilled for you. What a beautiful feeling. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That is... There are those full circle moments, right? Where you think this is finally the thing. And it sounds like this one was close to you and also hard won. And there's there's something about the things that we really have to strive for that makes them sweet. Yep. Persevere, mm. for sure. I could have quit so many times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Gosh, what's your, I mean, taking your lessons from that, like if we're talking for other writers, what are your thoughts on perseverance? Well, I would say for me, it paid off because I really wanted this. And I think that's the goal or the challenge is to be curious about yourself and what do you really want? If you really want it, maybe you'll keep working towards it, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And I think for other people, if it's not that important, they might have stopped. I also was always getting enough positive feedback in the world, whether it was by sharing parts with a writing coach or winning a contest or publishing a piece of it or something mm-hmm. that kept me going that I, I knew I had something. I believed I had something and I just wasn't done with it. And I just couldn't stop. But I did ask myself that question over and over again. Is it time to stop and I'm not paying attention? Am I going down the wrong path? Is this not the right journey for me? And I struggled with that, but then really tried to like I said, pay attention. And it just kept guiding me to keep going. I really love hearing that. And I like how you're framing that with it's the focus isn't on the skill, quote unquote, of perseverance. The focus is on what do I want? What matters to me? What's right for me? And then if you're staying in line with that, then it's worth it to persevere. Yes. What a gift. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. That's just so thrilling to come to the other side of a a long journey like that. So let's talk a couple other things I wanted to talk about with this particular book. Like I said, minus the whole teenagers' lives can really go off the rails situation, and Mm -hmm. which is very true. And I really like, I really liked the way that Casey's parents the way their relationship was, it really felt very true in a lot of ways and in hard ways because teenagers can be tricky. And so did you draw on that from your parenting experience, from your childhood experience, or neither? Was that just how you saw Casey and her parents? Uh, Definitely part of it. The main, the gist of it was the angst that was happening between me and my parents during that time, during that first year. Okay. So like I said, I wasn't um, a bad kid, but I was sad and I was angry. So I was being difficult for yeah. sure. So I drew on that emotion. I don't, I don't remember the rest of the question. I don't either because I'm just enthralled by what you're saying. Like everything that you're <laughs> saying, I'm just like, wow, that's so true. Well, but what you were saying makes so much sense to me that that, that toughness. So you answered it. I was asking like where you got that vibe or that feeling for Casey and her parents. And that makes sense. You were drawing on kind of what is natural for teenagers and then you're heightening it by this huge life shift. And especially for Casey, since things were already fraught before they went. So you, and it was funny because as I was reading it, I thought, wow, this does feel like in some ways it is easy to write a teenager going down the wrong path because basically you just know what's right and then you choose the opposite for them. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like, hey, you shouldn't hang out with that person. So hang out with that person and see what happens. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Your judgment. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If I were trying to blow this up, what would I do? Yeah, perfect. Oh, well, I think the point of my question was that the way you wrote that was very truthful and it felt very true to like we're talking about, you know, that time of life is so particular and 
has its own taste to it where you just think you know everything and your parents are really dumb in those years. And so the idea that she's having to push against all of that and they're trying to do what's best for her. Right. Mm. So go ahead. No, I was going to say they think they're doing what's best for her, but part of what I like to play with in that whole dynamic is their expectations of her. And, you know, just because that's what they want for her doesn't mean necessarily that that's what she should do, although she does. That's so true. Good point. Gosh, this is really going to, I'm going to have to like take notes on this for my therapist, right? Because this is just <laughs> that constant game of the the relate the parent-child relationship is just so fascinating anyway. And there's so much to mine there. And you're exactly right because maybe they're rescuing her from one thing, but are they dooming her to something else or putting her in something else. Yeah, that makes sense. Tell us about the title, The Marriage Box, for people that don't know what The Marriage Box is. Okay. So The Marriage Box was actually a real place. It was in like a beach club area that had a pool. And behind the pool area, there was a roped off section for the teenage girls to go there. And boys would go ask them out on dates. Because in this community, the Syrian Jewish community, marriage is a really important value. And that's kind of like a big goal, especially for the girls. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to have nothing to do with the marriage box because that's where the 16 and 17 year old girls were hanging out to get these dates. And I did not want to get married. So I got a job as a waitress in the snack bar, which is you see that in the, yes, yeah, I put that in. So I just wanted to not be a part of it. But yeah, so they used to call the area the marriage box. That's so fascinating. That was one of those window moments where I was like, okay, that's not a thing I knew existed. Exactly. (laughs) We'll put that on the list of things I learned. What did you feel like, what were the main things that you brought? Like you said, when you came into that world and you weren't necessarily, like you said, keeping kosher, observing these other customs and traditions. And so what was that like for you in terms of trying to belong there? Interesting. Really hard because a part of me was trying very hard to hold on to who I was. Mm. A very scary time, like I, we talked about before, when you're trying to figure out who you are and your, your identity. And yes. now to just be doing things very differently, it felt very scary to me to let go of who I had been in New Orleans. Yes. So I was on one hand holding on to that, but on the other hand, finding myself in situations that were really uncomfortable and even embarrassing sometimes because I didn't know the laws of keeping kosher or, you know, what was allowed and not allowed in a lot of different areas. So eventually I started to follow more as it felt more comfortable to me, but in the beginning I was resistant. Mm, that makes sense. I could see how that would be. Did you, there, music is a huge theme in this book. I loved it. Was that something that you held on to during that time, that transition, just to kind of keep you grounded in who you were becoming in what felt like your old life? Absolutely. I mean, I, I used music then, but also writing it in the book was so much fun. I bet you had so many good songs in there. I felt like I was, it's just, and to follow all those is just, I was trying to explain to my kids the other day how, you know, you had to wait for things to come on the radio. I remember calling the radio station to request the song I wanted and just the, 
everything's so at their fingertips now. And so reading about that songs, those songs and remembering how exciting it would be for those to come on. I loved that part of it. Are you still a big music person now? No, not really. <laughs> I mean, I love music. It's not like I don't love music. But of course. I just don't even know what's current anymore. I mean, there's a marriage box playlist that I listen to a lot. Perfect. I'm going to pull that up because I bet it's fantastic. If you have trouble getting it, I'll send you the link. Perfect. Well, I mean, as I evidenced earlier, sometimes technology goes awry for me. So you never can tell. I love a good, a good easy hack. A couple more things I wanted to hit on. There's something in the book about how, and I never want to give too much away, which I don't think this does, but that sometimes inherent, you put it this way, inherent in choosing is loss. Is that something that you find true in your life? Was that something that was thematic for you that was staying there? I'd love to hear more about that. Honestly, that was something I learned probably too late. Mm. I learned that kind of recently. Okay. I always have trouble making decisions. Okay. And then when that was framed for me that way, more recently, let's say four years ago. Yeah. That makes sense. And it was like so obvious, but for whatever reason, it had never landed properly. Okay. And it just made sense to me and felt right. And then it was easier for me to like give myself a break when I was being hard on myself for having trouble. Yes. For having to decide something. Are you a perfectionist? I don't think so. But like all those little quizzes and stuff kind of tell me I am. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Maybe my kids would say I am. That's my favorite answer ever. The quizzes keep saying, but I'm sure they're lying. And I'll find one that affirms what I believe. What are those quizzes? (laughs) Or my husband. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Never, never ask a spouse. No, 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 no. That's that trouble lies that way. Yeah. Yeah. That really resonated with me because I do tend to be a perfectionist and I am often laboring under the idea that if I make all the right decisions, that I can be happy and that things are going to go perfectly, really. And So this idea that to say yes to one thing is to say no to someone else. You're right. There is a freedom there where it's okay. So we're, we're choosing this and choosing it more fully. And with the whole of yourself, acknowledging what you're letting go feels like such a better way to live. Right? Yeah. Easier than either trying to hold on to everything at the same time and, or what you're trying to do also sounds really difficult because Like, how could you exactly plot and know your every move to give you the perfect life? I can confirm. It's a terrible (laughs) way to live. I don't endorse it. (laughs) Don't do it, anyone. Or my way. (laughs) It took 20 years to write the book to get to that sentence. (laughs) That's incredible, though. I love hearing that because it feels so universal to the way that books are created, right? We're working our best at them, but also there's an element of mystery. What's meant to be. Yes. What it's supposed to be. I love that. The other thing I noticed in this book was that there are unlikely people that speak into Casey's life, especially. They weren't characters I expected that would have an impact on her. Was that something that you set out to do or did did those, I don't want to tell too much, like I said, but is that something that you thought of that this person was going to be a real catalyst for her or was it more like that developed as you wrote? 
I think it developed as I wrote. I definitely had a fascination with that character and yes. questions around, you know, all the questions around yes. who the yes. person is. And so it started with just a fascination. And I surprised myself with what was going to happen. And I think that's fun. I think it's fun when you surprise yourself because then the hope and the wish is you surprise your reader as well. Yes. You did surprise me with that one and it was delightful. I was really, I loved it. What is one thing that you think is a huge misconception about the Orthodox community that you wrote about in the book? That the Orthodox community is one thing. Mm. That That the entire Orthodox community looks acts and believe the same things. Okay. Instead of looking at it like any group of people, which is diverse and complex and nuanced. And I think when you say Orthodox Jewish, people have a very specific visual that comes to mind. Yes. And while that is absolutely a part of the culture, it's more than that. And so that's what I was looking to explore. Yeah. And show and represent. What is one of the beautiful parts of that community that you see since you've been inside it and around it? Of the Orthodox community? Yeah, the Orthodox community. Oh, oh my gosh. In the, I'll t- I can talk about the Syrian Jewish Yes, uh, Yes, I would love that. it. Uh, they are really generous people, mm. really generous, kind, hardworking people who really care and who support not only one another, but important endeavors in the world. Like they're, they're really warm, good people. And family is a huge value in the community. And that resonates with me. And so, you know, for someone like me who, or, or Casey and or both of us, yeah. belonging is nice and community life is nice. Yes, absolutely. As long as you can, for you, stay out of the marriage box. Exactly. Yes, it is nice. And of course, as any community, there are pitfalls. Absolutely. You know, I talk about gossip and other things like that in the book and the things that are not necessarily the best qualities of the community because it is tight-knit and close. But overall, really lovely, lovely group of people that I'm proud to be a part of. Well, and you do have a lovely honesty in this book that you're speaking of now, too, which is just, you know, it's people that are doing their best to love each other and, and to build toward what they believe is most important. So it's really cool to see that in the book too, because even in the characters that are more flawed, you see that. So I think there's a lot of grace that you put into this book. So I think people are going to love it. I'm so excited. Thank you. I really appreciate all you just said. That was so nice. Well, this was a delightful surprise for me because I had not heard about the book. So I'm so glad Zibi gave me the opportunity to talk to you today. And I just want to leave everyone with the fact that they need to, in addition to a playlist, I think in your spare time, you need to do a skincare routine because you have the most stunning skin of anyone (laughs) I've ever seen. So that's just, we're going to leave it with that because that's, I mean, the main takeaway, read the book, buy the book, obviously. And also maybe you can just instruct us all because I did not believe you were a grandmother. Oh, well, thank you. That's super nice. It's my pleasure. I'll be sure to let them know that we need to get some video on this so that, you know, it can it can be key for all to see. Well, Corey, congratulations. Thank you for the time and for your thoughtful answers and for your wonderful book. Thank you so much. This was lovely. So nice to meet you and talking to you has been great. 
You too. I'm so glad. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.